Do you ever find yourself thinking about a past love? Are you struggling to enter into emotional intimacy in the relationship you're currently in? The Apostle Paul wrote about three barriers the church at Corinth was experiencing when it came to relationships. That little congregation had a lot of questions about sex and marriage, but the problem wasn't that they didn't know God's guidelines. They just hadn't personally experienced God's healing and leading in a way that enabled them to understand his view of sex. Dana Gresh unpacks what the Apostle Paul wrote about, three barriers that keep us from experiencing freedom. This message was recorded in the Pure Freedom Studio. I want to ask you a question. Do you know that one of the greatest tools God's given us to overcome Satan is your rescue story? One of my favorite passages in the book of Revelations tells us that we overcome the enemy, Satan, by the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of your testimony. And today we're going to study a passage that invites us deeper into the rescue story of the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can empower the word of our testimony. And that makes me want to ask, what's your story? How has Christ set you free? We need your story. We need your story because if you haven't noticed, the battle is thick. And today we're going to read an invitation to freedom, and we're going to explore three things that could possibly be holding you back from becoming a freedom story. The passage I'm about to read is an invitation to freedom. At least it has been for me. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20. I hope you'll read along with me. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In my life, this passage has been a complete invitation to freedom. This passage and other references in 1st and 2nd Corinthians have helped the Holy Spirit to write my freedom story. Now, freedom's a debated word, wouldn't you agree? In our culture, as in Paul's, we believe the lie that we are free if we express ourselves any way we want, including sexually. Now, Paul knows that lie is lurking in our hearts when he writes, 
all things are lawful. He's quoting, he's quoting a popular culture of the day, but his answer is not all things are helpful. Some versions say not all things are beneficial. So not all kinds of sex are good for you. Now, he doesn't say they aren't pleasurable. He says they aren't beneficial. That is, they eventually end up in hurt. Has your heart known sexual pain? Have you ever woken up with regret thick the morning after? Paul declares, I will not be slaved by anything. He knows he's seen that look in someone's eye when they've had that regret, when they've known that pain. And he says, I will not be enslaved by anything. He refuses. And why? Because he sees enslavement to sexual passions all around him. I see it too in our culture. Growing number of sex addicts, especially porn addicts. And even the secular media, secular scientists, secular social scientists are noticing that people who are addicted to porn and using it pretty regularly, well, they're not having real sex. At least they're having a lot less of it. Maybe you know something about that. One secular magazine, it was written for women, and it was in response to women using pornography. It said, if you want to enjoy real sex, you better push pause on porn. I don't know if you were old enough to remember that in the 60s and 70s, gypsy moths were destroying our tree canopies. You would look up into the sky, instead of seeing beautiful lush green trees, you would see gray moth-strewn trees. It would look like cobwebs, but they were destroying our trees. Now, gypsy moths are not native to the United States. They don't have any predators here. They were brought here from the Orient and doing great destruction. But we couldn't figure out how to destroy them. We tried all kinds of things you know what worked? They developed pheromone pellets and they dropped these very, very strong essence of female moth into the trees. And those male moths, they would flutter around furiously looking for that super strong, very potent female moth, but they never could find her. So they bred themselves out. They were fooled by a counterfeit. I think that's us. Pornography is stealing our taste for real sex, for good sex, and that's not beneficial. Sexual sin is enslaving. Now, we could look at all other types of sexual sin. I just chose that as an example today, but I think I could prove to you, not even using God's word, but science, that they're enslaving. But you might say, well, that doesn't sound like an invitation to freedom. It sounds a little condemning. No, no, no. Convicting. For me, it was convicting. When you receive God's word as truth, and you know that it's safe, it's convicting. Here's why I think it's a freedom story. In verse 11, it says, And such were some of you. I've had a front row seat, my friend, to see people walk out of sexual bondage of many kinds. They were sexual sinners. Right here in my home church, you're surrounded by freedom stories, my friend. I'm talking about people at Center Church who've overcome hookup culture, living together before marriage, homosexuality, adultery, prostitution, pornography, extreme sexual addiction, and such were some of us. But, verse 12 reads, you were washed, you were sanctified, You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Freedom stories. 
God can take the kind of people described in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, those enslaved to sexual passion, and make them into the kind of people described in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, sanctified, justified, washed, free. I know something about this, and such was me. My past was a thick, dark prison. Decisions that I made as a teenage girl once haunted me, and not just for a few months, for almost a decade. I felt so imprisoned by my sin, um, even years after I'd walked away from it. The shame haunted me. It became an incredible barrier in my intimacy with my husband, mostly emotional. I wasn't free. One day, I dared to begin to identify with 1 Corinthians 6.11, to say such was me. And that's a whole story in itself for another day, but I got to tell you, it was a turning point in my life. It was a turning point in my marriage. It was a turning point in my purpose. It affected every area of my life. Your past does not have to be your prison. Today could be your turning point. This day could be the day you start to write a freedom story. Now, Paul goes on to explain three things that were barriers to freedom among the believers. And these three things could be holding you back. They are sex lies, supernatural superglue, and senseless confusion. So if we look at these, I'm going to give you a strategic plan as God invites you today to step into freedom. We're going to look at sex lies, supernatural superglue, and senseless confusion. First, let's look at sex lies. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 7, 1, Paul reasons with them and with us that the reason they're not often free is because they're believing lies. And he actually quotes two of them in here. The first that we see in 613, the food for the stomach and the stomach for food. You see those quotation marks around that? This was a mainstream Greek phrase. It it basically meant sex is just an appetite like eating. Feed it because you can't live without it. The soul is all that lasts forever. So do whatever you want with your body. Isn't that our mainstream view today? Do whatever you want with your body. Of course, we've made it even worse because we have no concern for the soul. At least they had that. Paul says this view is a lie. It's opposed to truth. He states it clearly. You'll understand that more as we continue. But be warned, that's not the only lie he quotes in this book of the Bible. Let's read 1 Corinthians 7, 1. We didn't read that before. It says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's quoting something they've written to him. You will remember that the book of 1 Corinthians is written because some members from the house of Chloe went to Paul and said there's trouble in River City. Not River City, but the church of Corinth. And some of that was related to sexual sin. A lot of it was related to sexual sin. And maybe in that letter, they wrote this. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Listen to me. Sex is necessary, but a dirty fact of procreation. That's what this is saying. It's saying you should do everything you can to live without it. It's better not to touch a man. It's better not to touch a woman. The lie that sex is bad. And Paul says this view, this view inside the believers, the body of believers, is as bad as the one in the culture. It's opposed to truth. And he says the legalism has got to go with the rest of the sin. 
and that's still true today. My heart longs for a time when in our churches we are mentoring one another, discipling marriages in their sexual experience. That that shouldn't sound odd to you. It should sound completely natural. These two views still dominate our culture today, don't they? But there are probably as many sex lies as there are sexual sinners. So maybe what you're struggling with is very unique and very different. Do you believe any lies about sex? If you do, it might be holding you back from freedom. Well, what's the solution to that? You need to transform your mind. And that requires you relearning the way you think about sex because you have probably been feasting on and dwelling on those lies, maybe through TV or um, through social media or through what you read or what you look at. It takes time to transform your mind and change it. Patience, diligence. You need to saturate your mind in the truth of God and books about sex and marriage and singleness that are written based on the truth of God. Do whatever it takes to transform your mind and bring it into agreement with God's word. That's how you overcome sex lies. The next thing is supernatural superglue. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 18, where um, Paul starts by saying, don't you know, don't you know, like you should, you should know. And apparently many of the members in Corinth thought their behavior with prostitutes meant nothing. Now I should explain that um, in the day and age when Paul wrote this, prostitution was really, really common. In fact, um, if you were a single adult, there was kind of a cultural expectation that you were available for a certain fee. And there were even some prostitutes who were considered sort of celebrities, influencers, if you will. But still, this was just a casual transaction. There was a business deal taking place. It's the most meaningless kind of sex. And Paul says, even when two are joined together in prostitution as a transaction, Genesis 2, 24, God's design and intention for sex still stands. And what does that say? He quotes it here. The two will become one flesh. That's what we read in Genesis 2, 24. Now, it's only been the past 10 years or so that we fully understand the physiology behind the biblical statement, one flesh. And this is where I go a little bit geeky because I have spent almost two decades studying sexual theology, theology of the body, and I have, this is one of my most glorious discoveries. When we are sexually active with someone, there are, there's a cocktail of chemicals that wash across the center of our brain, the deep limbic system. And just talk about two of them. One of them is dopamine. And dopamine measures pleasure in our body. And when we feel pleasure, dopamine says, do that again. It is what eventually leads to addiction because dopamine is very values neutral. It doesn't say what you did for your body was good and felt good. So do it again because it's good for you. It just says it felt good. So do it again. So crystal meth, dopamine. Sex with a prostitute, dopamine. But... Running and working out, dopamine. Sex with your husband, sex with your wife, dopamine. So it's values neutral, but it gives this incredible drive, a reaching out to someone. Now, the other chemical, which really is my favorite chemical, is 
oxytocin. Now this neurochemical, it basically says, it tells your heart, I belong. And the very first time we experience it is when our mother is holding us and breastfeeding us. That very first time, that interaction says, you belong. Now these chemicals of pleasure and bonding, they cannot be overridden based on the type of sex we're having. In fact, Dr. Joseph McElhaney of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health says, the desire to connect is not just an emotional feeling. Bonding is real and almost like the adhesive effective glue, a powerful connection that cannot be undone without great emotional pain. No matter what kind of sex you're having, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. There are bonds with the people you have sex with. I found that to be true in my life. When Bob and I fought in those early years of our marriage, I would think about this teen relationship and that, that just brought guilt upon guilt. Why was that happening? I didn't understand. I was not free until I met a friend who understood this passage here in 1 Corinthians. And she explained to me that there are bonds with the people we have sex with. And we simply spent some time, it was actually an hour or two, praying through all the things in my heart related to my sexual pain. And I asked God to break this bond, this unholy bond in my life to a past sexual partner. And friends, he miraculously healed me. He did. He truly did. And it was beautiful. And it changed my marriage dramatically. Do you ever find yourself thinking of a past sex partner at the most unexpected or inopportune times? Are you married and experiencing sexual barriers or lacking emotional intimacy in your friendship? Well, what's the solution? You may need healing. Those sins may be in the past, but your healing is still right here in front of you. Pursue it. Pray with someone in your congregation, in our congregation. Pray with someone who really understands this concept of bonding and healing. And get a Christian counselor if you need one. Do whatever it takes. Get help with this one. It's not easy to do alone. And the third barrier that Paul mentions here in this passage to sexual freedom, to, to a freedom story in your life is senseless confusion. Now I'm calling it that because it's the opposite. It's the only thing I could think of that would be the opposite of understanding the purpose of sex. Do you know that your sex has purpose? One of them is pleasure. The Bible talks about it and celebrates it. In fact, it's the first piece of literature, the most ancient piece of literature that, it, that, that celebrates sexual pleasure. Of course, one of the purposes is procreation, creating life. And oh, how glad I am because I'm so thankful for my Addie and my Zoe, my two twin grandbaby daughters. Oh, what a gift. But the third purpose, and one we often don't talk about, at least not enough, is pointing to Christ, helping people see Christ. Here, the purpose of our body is referenced in 1 Corinthians, and it counteracts the cultural lies. You know those cultural lies that your body is just physical and it's going to be left behind and it's not sacred like the soul? Well, this passage says the body is sacred. 1 Corinthians 6, 
19 and 20. Let me read that to you. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. And earlier, this is where I was trying to decide where to go. Paul says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body is sacred. The body exists to honor God, to be joined to God, and to point to God. And here's the biggest problem with the lies Paul explored in this passage. They separate the physical and the sacred. And that's that's the heresy of our times to divide the two. This world, the rocks cry out to worship God. How much more are our bodies? And let me say this. Anytime the conversation about sex revolves around the physical world, we're not having a conversation that's holistic, and we're not having a conversation that's based on the word. If you go back into the Old Testament language of sex, the the physical is just a conduit to a deep knowing, an intimate knowing. And that's why Paul says in verse 613, the body's not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, your body was not just for physical food and sex, but ultimately to serve and worship Jesus, who can in fact fill the body with himself, should we surrender. And that makes your body sacred, a temple. But there's more. From the beginning, God created our bodies to be sacred, not just because Christ can fill them, but from the beginning. Genesis 1.27 says that we are created in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's very significant in our cultural conversation today about gender. God says he intended for two distinct genders to be a part of his image to help us see what he looks like. Now, what happens when you put two together who are distinctly different and they're united, the scripture tells us, by Christ? Well, three distinctly different beings become one. What's that sound like to you? Sounds like the Trinity to me. From Genesis to Revelations, the scriptures say that marriage is a picture of God and of God's love for us. Ephesians 5.31, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Here, Paul quotes Genesis again, too. And then in verse 32, it's like he's changed subject, but he hasn't. He says, I'm really talking about Christ and the church. He says, listen, when, when, when I tell you about marriage and this oneness of a man and a woman through Christ, I'm really talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about the love that I have for you, that intimacy in marriage, that intimacy in sex. That's what, it's a picture, a mere taste of what I want you to experience with me. So I got a question. If that's what sex represents, if that's what our bodies can be a part of, How motivated do you think Satan is to see that destroyed in your life? Oh, how we need to write freedom stories. Oh, how we need to be wise to the lies of the enemy and write freedom stories so that we can overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, this telling of our freedom stories. Now, maybe you didn't know some of what I'm sharing before today. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it that your sexual expression has incredible purpose, but some of you did know. You just never fully embraced it, never fully explored it, meditated upon it. Paul is speaking to them because they've been that way. 
They're like children who won't stop playing in the streets. He says it six times in these, in these two chapters of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians um, 5 and 6. Do you not know? He says it over and over again. Like, don't you know if you play in the streets, you're going to be killed? Well, today you do know. You do know, because I just told you. Now, apparently, many of the members in Corinth thought their behavior with prostitutes, remember, this was a normal cultural hookup kind of thing for their day. They thought it had nothing to do with their relationship with Christ. And Paul says, don't you know it does? And today, many American church members think their sexual behavior has nothing to do with their relationship with Christ and that Christ gets to say nothing about their sexual behavior. They want to have their rescue from Jesus to get into heaven, their ticket into heaven, without the holy set-apart obedience of Christian living. And I'm telling you that you cannot have full freedom in Christ until you've completely yielded your whole self to Him. And that includes surrendering your sexual appetites to His plan and to His purpose. I hope you'll do that today. If you enjoyed this message and want to dig in deeper, check out Dana Gresh's Six Steps to Healing Negative Emotions. It's a podcast series that slowly unpacks critical steps to sexual healing and freedom. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.